we inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to The Core here on American Family Radio. I'm Walker Wildman. Glad to be with you today on the show. We got just a couple days until Christmas, so I hope that your family has a Merry Christmas and uh, then a Happy New Year after that. Um, And this is a um, special time of year where we reflect and are reminded consistently of the birth of Jesus Christ, the life that he lived, and how he came to save humanity uh, from ourselves and from our sins. You know, Scripture says that for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, that should impact our lives, that should impact our thoughts, and should drive us closer to him. Um, the fact that he died for us while we were yet sinners. Uh, so we Uh, Here at American Family Association, understand that without Christ, without the sinless sacrifice that he was, there would be no access to the Father. There would be no eternal salvation. Um, So uh, we're thankful to God that he offered his son, Jesus Christ, for the uh, remission of sins and um, so that we could have access to the Father and uh, eventually have eternal life. In him, so that's what Jesus offers. That's what his life was about. It was about bridging the divide, bridging the gap between God and man. That gap that was created by sin, by Adam. Uh, God sent Jesus, His Son, prophesied over and over again in the Old Testament. Sent His Son Jesus to bridge the gap, to be the mediator between God and man. Without Christ, there would be no. A bridge to eternal salvation. There would be no mediator between God and man, but because Jesus came, because he lived a sinless life, and because he died on the cross for our sins, for our transgressions, we have access to the Father. We have access to eternal life, should we believe in him. That's the, that's the, the important note here, should we believe in him. Um, and that's what uh, that's what Jesus said over and over again. The Pharisees and others continued to question Jesus in uh, in the New Testament. You know, what does it mean to be saved? What does it take to be saved? And Jesus says, "Believe that I am the Son of God." Um, that's what it takes to have eternal life. To believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and believe in Him for eternal salvation. Reading uh, Psalm chapter 2, that's our scripture for the week. Uh, Psalm of David here about uh, the nations raging against God's people. Uh, Raging against God's people, raging against the Israelites. So let's read all of chapter 2 here. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, then he speaks to them, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king 
on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for me, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O king, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So that's a warning. That's a shot across the bow uh, to all the kings, all the rulers around the earth that rage, that plot against God's people. Uh, that's a warning to them that God will uh, protect his people and he will punish those who, ri- who uh, rise up against God's people. And that promise is true. It holds true. It held true in the Old Testament with the Israelites, and it holds true today. That same promise is for the church, for the body of Christ, and for his people. That same promise for protection. Uh, Jumping into some of the issues for today, there's a story out of Haiti, and man, has this story just not gotten enough attention. I might have mentioned it once on the show, but I know I haven't mentioned it more than that. And the, 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 the story is out of Haiti, and there was there, there's been for the past several months there's been a group of of American missionaries in Haiti that have that were kidnapped. Uh, they were uh, kidnapped. A total of seventeen people were abducted on October sixteenth, so over two months ago. They were abducted. These uh, missionaries were abducted after visiting an orphanage in. Uh, an area of Haiti, and um, so so that that was what happened back in October. Well, now, thankfully, praise God, the uh, captive missionaries, all seventeen, have escaped custody um, from these kidnappers there in Haiti. But but seventeen Americans were kidnapped in Haiti. And, I mean, this just did not get the news that it deserved. It did not get the headlines that it deserved. And it's rather shocking that the U.S. government didn't publicly do anything to get them out. They ended up having to escape on their own. Um, Five of them escaped earlier, um, either days or weeks ago. But then the remaining 12, listen to this, the group of 12 navigated by stars to reach safety after a two-month kidnapping ordeal. Officials with the Christian Aid Ministries, the Ohio-based agency, announced that the captive missionaries um, escaped on Monday. Um, this is this is fascinating, but I, I bring this up because thankful that they were, that they, escaped. They weren't released. They escaped. But when was the last time that 17 Americans were held hostage overseas and the president of the United States did not weigh in on it, at least publicly? I mean, this should have been a big ordeal um, to get these Americans back. And I'm sure that there were things going on behind the scenes. So I'm not trying to claim as if the, the U.S. government did nothing. That's not what I'm claiming. 
What I am saying, though, is that this was not highlighted. This should have been highlighted. I mean, these missionaries should have been um, rescued by um, U.S. troops ASAP, immediately. Instead, they were left in Haiti and left to fend for themselves, and eventually they ended up escaping. So they are um, 12 that were escaped over the weekend were flown to Florida on a U.S. Coast Guard flight and later reunited with the five hostages that were released earlier. Uh, so the five hostages, that's not clear. Uh, the group of 12 eluded their kidnappers, but it's not it's not clear whether the five were released. I believe the five earlier were released because of health issues. Uh, so that's the latest for the missionaries in Haiti that are all free now, uh, thanks not to Biden, not to the U.S. government, not to the U.S. military, uh, but thanks to the 12 who eluded their kidnappers this past weekend. Uh, jumping to another topic, uh, this is um, out of the state of Texas. Texas Attorney General investigating pharmaceutical companies that promote hormone blockers for kids. By the way, if you haven't watched In His Image, that's one of our latest documentaries. You're going to want to watch this because it, it, it tackles this issue head on. In His Image, you can go to our streaming platform, streaming.afa.net. You can log in, watch In His Image for free there, and it addresses this issue of gender dysphoria, of transgenderism, of hormone treatments. It addresses all of it in that documentary. The Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton has announced an investigation into two pharmaceutical companies that allegedly promote the use of hormone-blocking drugs for children. This story out of the Gateway Pundit goes on to say that the drugs are not approved by the FDA for this purpose. Paxton's office is looking into whether or not the two pharmaceutical companies violated the, the Texas Deceptive Trade Practices Act by promoting using the medications, uh, the two medications here, which I can't pronounce, for kids whose parents allege that they are transgender. According to a press release from the Attorney General of Texas, these two drugs are approved to treat children with central precocious puberty when the puberty process begins prematurely. And another drug, along with other forms, um, has been prescribed for pal palliative treatment of prostate cancer. These drugs are now being used to treat gender dysphoria, even though, as I mentioned, they are not approved for such use by the FDA. And I bring this up for two reasons. So we've got uh, these hormone-blocking treatments, which are terrible for children. Uh, they're already terrible enough for adults, but they're absolutely terrible for children. And much of this is stuff you can't turn back. Much of this, these treatments are, 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 are irreversible. And the FDA hasn't signed off on it. They haven't approved it. But you start talking, you compare this, and this shows, this proves that politics and ideology is driving the FDA. It's driving the CDC. It's driving many of these major agencies that have lauded themselves as the experts and the ones who know everything and the ones who should just tell us what to do. Well, the, the FDA, along with our own customs enforcement 
arm of the federal government, they've been going very hard against uh, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin to such an extent that customs and Border Patrol have been intercepting ivermectin shipments that have been coming into our country from overseas and seizing them on behalf of the FDA and the CDC. So people order ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine overseas, and our own Customs and Border Protection agents have been apprehending it, have been possessing it at the border, because the Biden administration says it doesn't work, and people shouldn't be able to use it to treat COVID. So you contrast that, and by the way, those two drugs have been around for a very long time, 50 plus years. And there have been hardly any studies that suggest that they that, that those two drugs, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, do any permanent damage or non-reversible damage to one's body. They just don't. But you look over here at these two pharmaceutical companies that the Texas Attorney General is investigating, where is the FDA here? Where is the FDA intervening here when these two pharmaceutical companies are promoting off-label use for their drugs? They're nowhere to be found. It's silence. All you hear is silence. And so this is the double standard here. And there's a reason that the FDA and the CDC and the other so-called expert agencies are silent, it's because they're okay with pushing these horrendous drugs on our children. They're okay with it. As a matter of fact, many of Biden's nominees have promoted the embrace of gender dysphoria and dismembering and mutilating children in the name of transgenderism and inclusivity. That's why the FDA is silent on this off-label use of these hormone blockers for children because they agree with it. They think it's good. They think children can willy-nilly identify as one sex or the other and start injecting themselves with chemicals to permanently alter their bodies. That's why the Biden administration, that's why the FDA doesn't say anything about these two companies because they agree with it. They think it's good. Texas Attorney General says no. It's bad. AFA at the core. I'm Walker Wildman. We'll talk more about this after the break. AFA at the core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the core here on American Family Radio. By the way, you can uh, listen to the podcast at AFR.net. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, whether you listen to podcasts on Apple devices, Android, Spotify. Uh, we push out AFA at the core audio to those different platforms so you can search for the show, AFA at the core, and subscribe there um, to keep up with the show. We are live streaming on YouTube and Facebook. We live stream the show each day that we're live. Uh, we live stream the show on YouTube and Facebook. Just type AFA at the core in on either of those platforms, and you can find the live stream there, AFA at the core on YouTube and Facebook. So go there and check that out. Um, jumping right back into the news, I wanted to read the uh, 
Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, I wanted to read his statement before I moved on from this topic. He says, regarding these hormone-blocking treatments for children that he's investigating now, he says, quote, the manufacture, sale, and prescription and use of puberty blockers on young teens and minors is dangerous and reckless. He goes on to say that these drugs were approved for very different purposes and can have detrimental and even irreversible side effects. I will not allow pharmaceutical companies to take advantage of Texas children. So good for the governor there. I'm sorry, the uh, attorney general there in the state of Texas. Uh, moving on, the uh, uh, Biden, Biden, President Biden's actually set to give a speech today on COVID. Imagine that. This is like, I look today and this is almost nearly 40th speech on this topic. Nearly the fortieth speech on this topic, and there's there's um, some trickery going on with what he's going to announce. So one of the thing things reportedly he's going to announce is five hundred million. Get this, five hundred million free COVID nineteen test to counter Omicron. That's what Biden is set to announce today, along with probably some other things, maybe some money to hospital systems. Imagine that again, uh, more more stimulus to the hospitals. So that's what Biden is set to announce today. Probably some other stuff too that we don't know about, but that's at least what's being reported. Um, and here's the thing I wanted to comment on the the whole testing idea and just sending out 500 million free test kits to all Americans or to Americans who request it. Um, here, here's the, the thing with that, that on, on paper, on the surface, before you start digging, it sounds, it sounds smart, it sounds good. Oh, I can test myself at home, which you can do now. You just have to go purchase the kits to do it. But here, here's where this will lead us, and, and I believe this is probably what the White House is angling for, because I don't know why else you would do it. Because you can go purchase at-home test kits right now. But if 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 the, the government, not the state, not the county, not the city, the, the, the federal government, if they start shipping out in the hundreds of thousands and millions of test kits to any American who requested, what we're setting up, folks, is a self-fulfilled prophecy. What do I mean by that? If we start swabbing everybody's noses every day because the government's giving away free test kits, we are going to have a rise in cases. Because some of the recent studies I've looked at say about 40% of people who get this cold, which that's what the coronavirus is, by the way. Let's remind ourselves that the coronavirus is a family of viruses, different strains, but it's been around for a very long time, well before the COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2. It is a cold. That is, the definition of a cold is a coronavirus. All right, so if we start testing everybody, especially people that are asymptomatic, well, what this, the, the studies have shown is that about 40% of people who have this, who have this cold, they are asymptomatic. So most, more than likely, they probably go about their business. Well, surely they do. They go about their business. 
They go to work. They go to school. They take care of their family. They go to the grocery store. They, they do their regular routine, and they don't even know they have this. They don't even know they have a cold because they have no symptoms. All right, so if we think we have a problem now, you start testing Americans every day because you're giving away test kits like candy? We will have more cases in America. And guess what the media will do? The media will say, oh my, oh my, we're having another pandemic and we've got to shut everything down. This will happen. And that's why I'm leery of this free test idea. And by the way, since when is it the, re- the responsibility of the federal government to send test kits to every American household? Like, where is that in the Constitution? <laughs> where is that? You're not going to find it because it's not there. But they're about to spend who knows how much money uh, sending these, these uh, rapid test kits to any American who wants it starting in January. And this is just a terrible idea. So I bring all that up to say that it's really, this is really only a pandemic as long as we make it a pandemic. This is really only a pandemic as long as we make it a pandemic. Because right now, for example, don't listen to me. Let's listen to, this is a fellow by the name of Michael J. Doling. He is the CEO of a major hospital system in New York State. They have about 26 locations or campuses. And uh, the, the, the health system is called Norwell Health. Well, he went on CNN, or Northwell Health, rather. He went on CNN, Michael Doling, the CEO of Northwell Health. And... The host says, you know, what are we looking like? How is New York looking? And surprisingly, the CEO provides a very uh, calm analysis of what he's experiencing in the state of New York. Clip five. Let's listen. Joining me now is Michael Dowling, the president and CEO of Northwell Health, which has an extensive network of 22 hospitals and other health care centers in New York state. Michael, thank you for being with us. What is the current situation in your hospitals? Yeah, we're doing very, very well, uh, very manageable. There's no crisis. Um, So let me just give you a little bit of perspective. Uh, We have right now about 460 patients in our hospitals. That's less than 10% of our overall capacity. And this time last year, during the second wave, uh, we had almost 1,000 cases this time last year. And compared to where we were back in the first wave, we had 3,500 patients in our hospitals. So when you look at the numbers today, they're relatively modest. And that have been increasing, you know, relatively slowly since, since Thanksgiving. We do expect an increase now over the holidays, but it is all manageable. Um, we will be able to deal with this. And I think it's time for people to get, be a little bit calm, uh, you know, a little bit more rational. And uh, while the positivity rate in the community is increasing dramatically, that does not mean that they automatically convert into hospitalizations. So on the hospital side right now, we're doing quite well, very manageable indeed. All right. That's a, that's a CEO of a major hospital system, Northwell Health. They have 22 campuses, rather, not 26, in the state of New York. And, and he's asked by CNN, how are things going? And he says they're going very well. They're going very well. He says we're seeing high case numbers, but those are not necessarily converting or translating into high hospitalization numbers. 
Okay, and then he says, why don't we all calm down? <laughs> Everybody calm down. Let's don't shut down everything. Let's don't send out 500 million, 500 million tests to all Americans who want them. Let's just calm down, all right? Let's stop shutting off flights to different parts of the world as if somehow that's going to help things. Um, let's just calm down. And so that's not me. That's a CEO of a major hospital system in the state of New York, which is having high case numbers right now, but that does not equal hospitalization numbers. And that's what's so important here is that we can we can look, look around at cases and go, oh my goodness, look at the case numbers. But if those are, 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 are not converting or translating into hospitalizations and death, then it's really nothing worth being upset about or, or getting hyperventilating or, or going into lockdown mode, which doesn't even have science backing it up. Are, are doing vaccine passports, which is a bad idea no matter what. And that's what's, what's so deceiving about looking at cases is he says, that CEO, cases are not equaling or translating into high hospitalization rates. And th there, there's this constant repetition out there. I mean, it is propaganda 101. Uh, this constant repetition, and, and these are even from people who are, quote, conservatives. Um, but there's this constant repetition that these shots are, are, are like game changers, like they're so effective. I mean, Operation Warp Speed, wow, this is going to go down in the history books. For example, I, I, I watched this uh, history tour that Bill O'Reilly and Donald Trump, the former president, are doing. They had some events in Texas over the past week, one in Houston, I believe, one in, one in Dallas. And... I played the clip yesterday of of President Trump saying that people should not question the effectiveness of the shots because he says he, he claimed that that's playing into the hands of our opponents, our ideological or political opponents. Well, today Bill O'Reilly and I didn't bring in the clip; it was too long. But Bill O'Reilly went on this show. Uh, Dan Abrams live on News Nation, and he's talking about the event he had with the former president. And, and Bill O'Reilly goes into this to this long spill about how these shots that were produced under Operation Warp Speed that are available now, still under emergency use authorization, by the way, there's no fully approved vaccine available in the U.S., even though the media says so. Uh, but but Bill O'Reilly said over and over again. Look, these shots have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. But to that I say, really though? But, but have they really? And see, uh, over and over again, even President Trump yesterday said, oh, oh yeah, yeah, these shots, oh, they, are, they are a game changer. This is historic. They are saving hundreds of thousands of lives. Okay. How can you say such? All right, so show me the data. All right, so I'm looking at the data, and, and despite record vaccination participation or shot participation, because once again, they're not vaccines, they're not performing like vaccines, despite high shot rates, over 70% of, of the U.S. population, those eligible, have been injected at least twice with the shot. But yet under the Biden administration over the past 12 months, more people have died with COVID than under the Trump administration during the last 12 months of the Trump administration. And, and there's nobody out there, 
and I'm I'm genuinely listening for these these explanations. I'm looking for someone to explain to me how you can definitively say the shots are working and they're working great at preventing severe illness and death, but then you you turn around and look at the data that more people have died with COVID the past 12 months than the previous 12 months. By the way, the previous 12 months without a single shot or vaccine available. So what am I missing here? I mean, I'm, 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 where, what am I missing? But you can't just keep repeating the same thing over and over again. It, it's a political talking point is what it is. At this point, it's a political p- talking point with no or little data to back it up, all right? And so let's 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 go a little step farther and let's let's accept a premise for the sake of discussion. All right. Let's accept the premise that Bill O'Reilly and Donald Trump and everybody's saying that these shots that are available are preventing severe illness and death. Okay. So let's 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 accept that premise, even though that premise is still being widely disputed and debated amongst the scientific community. But let's accept that premise for the sake of discussion. Okay, we have shots that are widely available that millions of Americans have participated in and have have injected in the name of preventing severe illness and death. Okay, and let's say that that, that's working and it's working effectively and great. Then why are we talking shutdowns? Why are we talking shutdowns? Why is the NHL, the National Hockey League, canceling its season? Why is the NFL canceling five games over the next four days? Why are office spaces, many in New York and across the country, why are they sending their employees home when 99% of their employees are fully vaccinated? It really does not add up. It does, once again, it does not make sense. It does not add up. If getting the shot means you just get the sniffles and you don't get severe illness and you don't die, then why are we still treating this as a pandemic? Why is the president about to have a speech where he talks doom and gloom and, and winter of death, but yet they brag about the shots and they're working? I mean, it really just does not add up. And I, I'm looking every day I look and I'm like, all right, where's the explanation going to be? Where is the explanation going to be? And I just can't find it. Uh, Moving on to another clip. This is clip one. This is the, uh, well, I'm going to wait till after the break to get to that. We're about to get music here. Um, But we had a hearing in the U.S. Senate, and the Southwest Airlines CEO admits, he says, uh, well, the mask in in, in the airplane context in the airline context, he says masks don't add much, if anything. He goes on to talk about how robust the air filtration systems are in the airplanes and how, like, every minute or two, they're circulating 90-plus percent of the air and putting it through uh, these filters that completely purify the air. So he says masks really aren't working. I mean, they're serving no purpose on these airplanes, but yet the Biden administration... Let's don't listen to the airlines. Let's don't listen to the scientists and said, let's re-up the mask mandate. Better yet, Fauci said the other day, we'll be wearing masks on airplanes. He said forever is what he said. Not my words, his words. AFA at the core will be back in just a few minutes.
AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Core here on American Family Radio. Glad to have you with us for this last segment of today's show. You know, I bragged on Senator Joe Manchin yesterday, a little bit, not too heavy, but I did compliment him that he held up or said no on this Biden spending spree. The build back broke is what many are calling it. I didn't coin that, but I'll use it. The build back broke or Biden calls it build back better plan. Well, um, it turns out now as more reporting is occurring um, that the Senator Joe Manchin out of West Virginia he offered a, a very a very lengthy, a very luscious olive branch to the Biden administration. All right. So so Joe Manchin wasn't just one of those no, never, we will never pass the build back better bill. Instead, listen to what Senator Joe Manchin reportedly offered the Biden administration as a compromise that the Biden administration apparently rejected, flatly rejected and this may explain why Senator Joe Manchin is so frustrated is because he did try to reach a quote unquote compromise with the Biden administration. This is from the Washington Post. Senator Joe Manchin last week made the White House a concrete counteroffer for its spending bill, saying he would accept a one point eight trillion dollar package that included this. Listen to what Senator Joe Manchin was offering. Universal pre-kindergarten for 10 years. 10 years worth of money devoted to providing free universal pre-K care for 10 years. So that was one thing that he was offering. He offered, Senator Joe Manchin offered an expansion of Obamacare. An expansion of Obamacare. And lastly, the senator from West Virginia offered the Biden administration hundreds of billions of dollars to combat climate change. And so Senator Joe Manchin is being blasted by the left-wing media. The Democrats, the other Democrats, are turning on him. They're calling him names. They're badgering him. Protesters are showing up at his private residence, on and on and on, applying this pressure. And Senator Joe Manchin has extended multiple options for making a deal with the Biden administration, but they refuse. They refuse probably because, I would bet, it's not radical enough. It's got to be extremely radical. can't just be partially radical. It's got to be extremely radical. And so Senator Joe Manchin, according to this report, has tried to reach a deal on on multiple occasions with the Biden administration, uh, but they have told him no, no compromise. We will, we'll we'll go all radical, or we won't do anything at all. Apparently, is the White House's position. Well, listen to the threats here. I'm going to play the first clip. I'm going to play is going to set this up, but this is Representative Jamal Bauman from New York, a congressman from the state of New York, Democrat, and this is him accusing the senator from West Virginia with no evidence to back it up, accusing accusing him of being racist and every other thing under the sun in clip three. Let's listen. So this is exactly why 
tens of millions of Americans don't care about our government, don't trust our government, and are done with our government. Not just the Republican Party, but the Democratic Party as well. Uh, I was infuriated uh, when I heard those comments, but I wasn't surprised because we had been sounding the alarm on this for several months, worried about what Manchin was going to do uh, when it was time for him to make a decision. It went from $3.5 trillion to $1.75 trillion because him, his special interests, his donors, and lobbyists were cutting the bill for several months because they did not want this bill to pass. Why? Because this bill disproportionately supports uh, people of color. It supports people of color. It supports women. It supports children. It supports those who are poor and lifts them out of poverty. Uh, why wouldn't Manchin want to support that when this would benefit uh, West Virginia tremendously? It's tremendously frustrating for me as a black man in America because, once again, it's an example of Joe Manchin as a white man showing that he doesn't care about black people. He doesn't care about Latinos. He doesn't care about immigrants. He doesn't care about women. And he doesn't care about the poor. All right. Well, that's uh, that's a Democrat, and, and you can you can copy and paste that across the board. There's been multiple Democrats talking like that on national television. Uh, but this is this is the same. This is the same game. This is the same trick they play when they don't have substantive information to talk about. When Democrats don't have substance to defend their policy positions, what do they do? They go down the path that they've been doing for a long time, and it's years' worth of accusing their political ideological opponents, in this case, one of their own party members, of being a racist. Okay, so, so I run out of stuff to talk about because our ideas are terrible, so what do you do? It's in the Democrat playbook. What do you do when you don't have anything to talk about, when you have no substance to your argument, you start accusing people of one of the greatest sins in American history, and that is being racist? And surely that will shut down debate. And, 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 and to be honest with you, and unfortunately, oftentimes it does shut down debate. Empty, false allegations of racism and hatred and bigotry oftentimes shuts down debate unfairly. Uh, but this is, if, if you look at the Democrat playbook, it's like number one or two. I mean, they go to it whenever they can. They go to it whenever they can. So without any evidence, without any facts, without any substance to accurately say that the senator from West Virginia is racist and doesn't like um, Latin Americans and others, that he's racist. And the, the the other egregious part is that they get away with it. So they, they make the, the empty allegations on national television, and what does the host do? Next topic, please. Next topic, please. No, no, no. How, how can you back that up? Or can you expound on your statements? Or how do you know Joe Manchin is a racist? No, they just move on. And so the accusations lobbed, the American people consume it, and the American people go, wow. Man, the, these this white guy from West Virginia, he is a bad dude. He might as well be hanging out with the KKK. This is this is egregious. This is egregious the way people are accused of things that they're not guilty of and convicted in the national media. And CNN, that was on CNN, by the way, 
CNN, MSNBC, they foster this environment. They bring the race baiters on, and they spew out this stuff that's not true, and then they move on nonchalantly as if they didn't just provide a character assassination to someone. And they did. They did the same thing to Brett Kavanaugh. They did the same thing to uh, Amy Coney Barrett. They did the same thing to Neil Gorsuch. They did the same thing to Donald Trump. They've done it across the board to dozens of, of public people. They did it to Kyle Rittenhouse as well. They do it over and over again. And unfortunately, some people uh, do do not only fall victim to it, but they do have their lives ruined as a result. Well, Senator Joe Manchin is is not having it. He's apparently not having it. This is a clip. I don't know which media outlet this was on here, but I found the clip online nonetheless. Uh, in recent days, Senator Joe Manchin has explained the type of treatment he has been getting from his fellow Democrats. Clip four, let's listen to this. I'm not blaming anybody. I knew where they were, and I knew what they could and could not do. They just never realized it because they figure, surely to God we can move one person. Surely we can badger and beat one person up. Surely we can get enough protesters to make that person uncomfortable enough. They'll just say, okay, I'll vote for anything. Just quit. Well, guess what? I'm from West Virginia. I'm not from where they're from, and they can just beat the living crap out of people and think they'll be submissive, period. Well, that Senator Joe Manchin doesn't sound very happy to me, but he's explaining the treatment he's been getting, how the treatment he's been getting from the media and from the Democrats, and it's not a very good treatment. You know, I guess that, that, that the intimidation strategy works for some, probably works for most, but it's not working on Senator Manchin. It's not working on Senator Joe Manchin. And by the way, when the congressman from New York that I played the clip of, uh, when he says that, that Manchin is being driven by special interest, all right, tell me one, one politician in Washington that is not being driven by special interest. They're all being driven by special interest. That's like accusing someone in Washington of having bias. We all have bias. I mean, even people that I like in Washington they're driven by special interest. I mean, how can we act as if there are politicians that run uh, year-round campaigns raising money for their next run for office, which could be in six years from now? How can we claim that some of them don't have special interest? They all do. They all have special interest, and they all have people in their ear trying to get them to move a certain direction or another. And the Democrats are the most notable ones uh, to have all kinds of special interest uh, connections there. Uh, The clip I mentioned before the break and didn't get to, we'll get to now. This is the Southwest Airlines CEO admitting in front of the U.S. Senate uh, that masks really don't have a purpose on airplanes. Clip one, let's listen. We ever, do you think, be able to get on an airplane without masks? Well, again, I would would echo... uh, Colleagues' comments uh, on the quality of the air, it's, uh, the, the statistics I recall is 99.97% of airborne pathogens uh, are captured by the HEPA filtering system and it's turned over every two or three minutes. We use UT Southwestern and Stanford School of Medicine. But, um, yeah, I, I think the case uh, is very strong that uh, – Masks don't add much, if anything, uh, in the uh, air cabin environment. It's very safe and very high quality compared to uh, uh, any other indoor setting. Well, there you have it. That's not me. That's not a pundit. That's a Southwest Airlines CEO telling the U.S. Senate uh, that masks really don't add much, if anything, to the flying experience when it comes to safety. 
He goes on to say that his uh, the filters on these airplanes circulate and filter 99-plus percent of airborne particles in two to three minutes. The whole airplane is completely, the air is completely cleaned and recycled in about two to three minutes, which is fascinating. Uh, but instead of listening to the CEO of Southwest Airlines, the Biden administration says, no, if you're two years or older, you've got to wear the mask and you've got to wear it from the time you step in the airport to the time you leave the airport. The last thing I'll mention on today's show is this story out of, um, this is out of the Daily Caller, but it has to do with this rare earth mineral, lithium. Many of you probably heard of this, especially with batteries. You know, you hear people say uh, such and such has a lithium-ion battery. Well, that's what they're talking about. Well, this lithium, according to this Daily Caller article, is a mineral that is key for electric car batteries, which I just said. Um, It continues to rise in price, jeopardizing the ongoing transition to renewable energy outlined by Western governments. It goes on to say that the cost of lithium has skyrocketed more than 250%. Over the last 12 months, hitting its highest level ever. It goes on to say that the average cost of an electric vehicle battery pack fell to 157 per kilowatt hour, which is, uh, this is engineering terms, so pardon me. A measure of energy capacity in 2021, the Department of Energy said in October. That means that the typical EV or electric vehicle battery is between six and seven thousand bucks for one battery. Uh, that's according to a Bloomberg analysis. So I bring this up because I talked a little bit about this last month the whole electric vehicle binge and the batteries, so on and so forth. Um, this is not this is not the latest and greatest technology and idea that we should all be flocking to overnight, which is what many of our leaders and industry professionals and others are trying to promote. Even the car manufacturing uh, industry is going heavily towards the electric vehicle. You see the commercials over and over again. Uh, The Biden administration is trying to move all of the government vehicles to electric uh, pretty soon in the next several years. Um, But this is something, this is a new sector that is going to have to be entered into very methodically and very slowly, okay? I'm not against the Teslas. I'm not against the battery-operated cars. I think it's pretty cool. May I own a battery-operated car someday? Maybe, probably. I don't know if I can afford it. They're pretty pricey. Some of them are. Um, But let's not forget that in order to power these vehicles, these battery-operated vehicles, At this point in American history, you need coal, natural gas, or oil to power the power plants that then deliver energy to your home to charge your battery-operated car. So if we think just moving over to battery-operated vehicles is all of a sudden overnight going to rid this planet of fossil fuel emissions, that's just not going to happen. And as a matter of fact, it's probably going to increase emissions as power plants are going to have to use more coal, more oil, and more natural gas to provide the energy for the battery-operated cars. So slow your horses. Let's don't all move over to battery-operated cars overnight because uh, what happens when the power production in, uh, 
facilities fell. We'll all be sitting at home looking for a bike. AFA at the core, I'm Walker Wildman. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Fiation or American